welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. I don't normally start a sermon with a corny joke. However, if Joel Osteen can do it every single week for the last 20 years and not just get away with it, but do pretty well, then I figure I can at least give it a crack occasionally, okay? A Jewish man goes to his rabbi and says, you're not going to believe this. My son left home and returned a Christian. And the rabbi says, you're not going to believe this. My son left home and returned a Christian. And the first man says, well, what are we going to do, rabbi? And the rabbi says, there's only one thing we can do. We must pray to God. So they go to God and God says, you're not going to believe this. Yeah, thank you. I need a tissue. I'm so emotional. It was a big deal. Like I said, it was a big decision. And now I know why I don't normally tell corny jokes. There's something about Joel. If you've ever watched Joel Osteen preach, he tells corny jokes. He has like tens of thousands of people in his church and they just roll around the floor laughing. So he's just got something on him that it doesn't matter what he says, people... Just love it. But then he does say some good things too. <laughs> He's got a, a spirit of encouragement. He cops a lot of flack. Interesting, you know, people are very keen to be critics uh, and he cops a lot of flack for his preaching being, oh, it's light on and it's topical and it's, and I just think, you don't know what's going on. He may be the world's best theologian. He might be busting every week to expound on some deep Old Testament truth that he loved and the Lord's just called him to be an encourager and uh, and that seems to be his gifting and calling because all the messages are the same uh, in an awesome way I mean they're all got a, a similar theme you know if you ever feel depressed just find a Joel Osteen po- po- podcast and don't get too critical and you'll be blessed you know and uh, and then you, you want to get your deep teaching go somewhere else that's fine that'll be you know so I just think we're, we're, we we I, I know um, it's very easy to be Critical, yeah? And people have their strengths and callings and, and I believe God's called him in that area, uh, even though, as I said, he cops a, a lot of flack. Now, um, two weeks ago, I spoke about uh, the, the blessings or the, the positives of problems. And uh, I want to continue with that theme. We, noticed, we, we noted a couple of weeks ago that um, God allows us to have problems so we can grow in all parts of life uh, because the fact is no one grows without problems. You can, you can enjoy life without problems. Uh, you can, you know, laze around in the sun um, as I did many years ago and I see my doctor every three months to get pieces cut out of me as a result. Um, it's my weight loss program. Uh, I'm slowly being cut away. Um, it's it's awesome, and I got scars too. I got, oh, yeah, they look like shark attacks. There's some a couple of them, you know. It's great. I got a new one here. I've got to come up with a better story than 
falling into a fish pond. <laughs> How lame, who would? Anyway, um, but you can, you know, sip your mocktail on the beach and that's awesome, but it doesn't change you, doesn't challenge you, doesn't cause you to become a better person. But problems can do that for you if you approach them with the right attitude. And if you do have that attitude, then they can cause you to seek God, draw closer to Him, become more like Him and grow in your character in all kinds of ways. And so we also noted a couple of weeks ago that problems come along for people to cause them to come up with creative solutions. Solutions that can be a great blessing to other people that they wouldn't have otherwise come up with. For example, I came across another example this week. Uh, in the late 1800s, a man in America had a small business and it was really struggling, basically going to the wall, facing financial trouble. He couldn't even pay his gas bill and so the gas company cut off the gas. He later wrote this, I was in the midst of some very important experiments and to have the gas people plunge me into darkness made me so mad I resolved to see if electricity could be used to replace gas for lighting and give those gas people a run for their money. Well, that man was Thomas Edison, who founded General Electric, and until then, electric lights weren't a thing. But the rest, as they say, is history. So, life's difficulties and dramas can be just the first stage sometimes to amazing success, or as Jesus put it, the pathway to God's blessing. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus, the famous Sermon on the Mount and the also famous part of it, the Beatitudes, which is a Latin word for blessing. And if I'm incorrect, Martin will correct me, but I believe that's where the, the, the phrase Beatitudes comes from. So if you read Matthew 5 and you look at, say, verse 3 down to verse 10, let's read that. This is this famous passage of blessings and it says... The traditional rendering, you know, blessed are those. This is the New Living Translation. God blesses those. Verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for Him. Traditional one rendering is uh, God blesses, uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which might, I, I think, it, I love this phrase, re, they realise their need for Him. What a, what a great position to be in in life. As soon as we realise our need for God, that's a good thing, yeah? For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He goes on. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they'll inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they shall see God. And God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And then finally, watch this. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right or for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Look, we all want to be blessed by God. Yeah. And here Jesus gives us a list of different people that God blesses. But but notice the pathway to the blessing because annoyingly, God doesn't just come into your life and change everything to make you feel blessed in your circumstances. In fact, He usually doesn't do a lot about our circumstances at all, much as we would like to have things change on the outside, but He does allow circumstances to change us on the inside. He allows circumstances that can be really challenging and problematic 
to cause us to seek Him, to do some soul searching, to, to stand up and be strong in our spirit. And, and all of that leads to our blessing. And let's face it, life is really from the inside. Uh, and so we get, we get blessed when we change and grow and develop and improve on the inside because that's really what life is all about. That's where we experience life. You can change stuff on the outside and still be miserable or cranky or negative or whatever. And conversely, I met plenty of people whose circumstances aren't that great, but they're blessed. They're joyful. They're close to God and, you know, really enjoying life. And, uh, and this is often how God works. He, the Bible says His ways are higher than our ways. You know, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And look, just imagine if on that day, Jesus got to give this message, this sermon, and He's feeling really tired and He got the disciples together and said, guys, I've got a big gig, but I'm really tired. So I need you to, there's a big crowd coming. The pamphlets have gone out. The Instagram messages are gone. You know, they're all coming. But I'll just need someone to step up and take this one for me. Of course, Peter would put up his hand. Thomas would say, oh, it's not going to work out. You know, poor old Thomas. He just, as Ellen said, he cops a bad rap. He just says what everybody's thinking. You know, he just says, I am the way. And they're all going, what's he talking about? Tom goes, yeah, what do you mean? Where's the way? What's the word? And, and then they can all pretend to go, oh, Thomas, idiot, you know, and Jesus, you know, poor old Thomas. Um, so yeah, Peter, of course, would be the impulsive one, wouldn't he, to say, I'll do it. What's the, what's the brief? Jesus say, look, I just, that one part of it is, I need you to talk about how God blesses people. Peter would be like, fine, got it all figured out. So what would he say? What would we think? He, surely he would say, okay, this is how it works. Um, God blesses you when you have had a really good catch of fish, and you go to the market, get a really good price, and you are flush with shekels. That would be his, you know, take on it, wouldn't it? Or he'd say, all right, blessed are those who, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, figured out how to buy a beach shack on the shores of Lake Galilee and get to hang out there every weekend and kick back and, and retire early. And people would be naughty. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. Blessed are those who uh, are really good looking and have lots of friends. You know, or this would be the normal thought of how someone's life is blessed. But of course, they're all externals. And uh, that's not at all what Jesus said, is it? In that list, in fact, of the eight Beatitudes, five of them describe someone in a challenging, difficult position. Poor, mourning, meek, hungry and thirsty and persecuted. It, it doesn't sound like the epitome of blessing, does it? But as I said, it's, it's these situations that can cause us to draw close to God. And, and being close to God is the greatest blessing you can have in life because then your life's flowing from that connection, that closeness to God. So I want us to look at this last one and, and think today about persecution because look at verse 10 again. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And if you read on the next verse, he expands on this one because he says in verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. 
Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Notice he says, because you are my followers. So today I'm looking at this particularly Christian problem and that's persecution for people who are followers of Christ. Personal attack that comes on you because you're a Jesus freak and follower. Um, And Jesus says, be glad. Because ultimately there's a great reward implying heaven. But there's also rewards in heaven. So not just arriving in heaven, but we don't know what it looks like. But we, 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 we hear Jesus say, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And people who have put up with persecution are doing that. And, you, and he also says you're in great company because you're alongside men and women of God who have suffered for God in the past. And, we, you know, when Jesus spoke these words, uh, you know, as I said, Peter, he might not have, like all of us and like the rest of them there, he might not have understood how persecution would be a blessing. But fast forward 30 years and Peter did. Because in about AD 65, 30 years later, Peter writes a letter that we have that's known as First Peter. And he says in chapter 4 of First uh, Peter, verse 12 through to verse 16, he writes this, Dear friends, there it is, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Isn't it amazing? James... Jesus, Peter, all these passages in the New Testament talking about problems and persecution and issues always have this encouragement to be glad. That's the attitude <laughs> that is the challenge that we're called to adopt and to lean into. Be glad. Okay. <laughs> really? Yes. But he says, because these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. There's that word again. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, look at this, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. It is, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. So notice, you can't claim all suffering to be persecution. (laughs) I've met many Christians who do that. You know, he's saying here, oh look, if you're a murderer or a thief and you get punished, well that's just justice, isn't it? Don't complain about that. And I've met people who, you know, complain about their life. They say it's persecution, but it's not. It's just sowing and reaping. (laughs) You know, they're just living with the results of bad decisions. Like, oh, oh, you know, I've suffered great spiritual attack on my health. It's like, no, you just eat badly and you don't exercise. And now you're crook. It's just, you know, it's just life. Or, oh, the devil's really attacking my finances. No, you're lazy. You just haven't built a career and get out there and get a job, you know. And so, but there can be, so, you know, Peter's saying there, don't label everything persecution, you know. You stub your toe, it's not necessarily the devil. You know, it's like every, some people are like, it's all the devil and it's everything. It's like there's life, there's stuff, there's your own fault, there's sowing and reaping, you know. But there can be a real attack for being a Christian all the way from those amazing heroes of the faith who have been martyred, killed because of their 
stand for Christ and not just in the past but in the present day. Christianity is the most persecuted religion of all around the world today. And there are, there are people today who will die for their faith in some parts of their world, in some parts of the world. And, um, but of course, from that all the way down to milder versions of persecution that you know, we are more likely to face in, in the Western world. For example, maybe at work, uh, you may suffer criticism uh, or ridicule even because of your Christian beliefs, especially since biblical values don't line up with some values that are really strongly promoted today. Uh, for example, biblical view of marriage being only that of a man and a woman. Um, and, and speaking of men and women, God's created only two genders, you know, and these basic beliefs weren't challenged for hundreds of years, you know, in the public sphere, but now they're considered kind of countercultural to, to, uh, to modern society. Uh, but even if you're not explicitly promoting or preaching your Christian worldview, you can sometimes have issues at work because of your faith, even when people don't realise What's going on? They may not even, you know, be even aware that someone's a Christian, but there is an antichrist spirit in the world and it can rear its ugly head sometimes where people under its influence without even knowing it can be having a go at Christian people. So maybe you've had that at work. Maybe you've had the nasty boss scenario. Someone seems to have it out for you and you wonder why and you're doing a good job. It's, again, it's not, you know, just... Have been criticised because you're doing a bad job, you might be doing a good job and yet sometimes there's something going on and it may be a result of your Christian faith, even if the boss doesn't know it. And in other parts of the world and, and your life, maybe a neighbour sometimes, some attack, something like some weird reason, they've got it in for you. So what do you do? Do you fight back? Do you have a slanging match? Maybe not if it's the boss because you lose your job. Um, uh, do, you, do you leave? Do you just run away, leave your job or move house? Or, or do you just suffer quietly and put up with things? No, you do fight back. But you don't fight against the person. In fact, back in Matthew 5, when you keep reading on what was recording of the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you get down to verse 44 of Matthew 5. Jesus said this, You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. That relates to our base human nature, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah, my mate, my loved ones, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm going to get him back. You know, Jesus comes along and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Oh, really? Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, I'll be honest, I just wish that wasn't in the Bible. Come on, you know, it would be so much easier if like the movies, Jesus said, you know, get revenge on your enemies. Not necessarily, you know, kill them like Arnold Schwarzenegger or he's the latest dark guy who gets shot a million times. What's his? No, no, he's dark and he, he's got a dark. Okay, he's cool. And he's got dark hair and he's made about four movies. They're all the same and millions of people die. Keanu, yes, Keanu Reeves. And all those movies he makes called, what's his name? What, what are, 
thank you, John Wick. You can tell I'm a real movie buff, but I did sit on the plane and sort of half kind of, anyway. Um, you know, but the, the, those movies are popular because we think you're the bad guys, you've got to get them back. It appeals to us, you know. Jesus is like, guys, I've got a higher way for you. Oh, really? You know, but it is better, not just for not killing most people that you meet, you know, like John Wick would, uh, but it's better for you to not live with, because most people don't get to carry machine guns and cull, you know, the population of the people who come across their path, uh, but they live with a kind of desire to and they have this resentment and bitterness building up. So Jesus says, no, no, walk with love and grace towards the nasty boss or the weird cranky neighbour or whoever. But we still fight, we just don't fight against the people because what does Ephesians 6 say? I'm glad you asked. Verse 10 says, a final word, this is the end of this great letter that he's written to the church of Ephesus, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, or against people, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's spiritual warfare. And you probably know that passage goes on to talk about God's armour, put on God's armour, because there are spiritual battles that we've got to fight and there is an enemy. And this is part of life as a Christian. Uh, as I said, not of, often really severe uh, in, in our neck of the woods, but it's not getting any easier. We've got to be prepared for more persecution, more spiritual warfare, warfare I should say, more attack. Now, classic biblical example of how to handle the pain of persecution, Jesus, okay, but if we go back further, I want you to look at the life of Joseph because you probably and possibly know his story. If not, you can read about it in the latter parts of Genesis. But to briefly recap, you know, Joseph had a dream uh, when he was young and he naively told his older brothers about the dream because the dream was that he saw all his older brothers bowing down to him sometime in the future. And of course, they took great offence. They were already ticked off because his father was unashamedly favouring Joseph and gave him this beautiful coat, the coat of, you know, different colours. And uh, so the brothers uh, sold him off as a slave. And so that's pretty bad. Uh, but then he did well because he was bought by... Um, Potiphar, this uh, Egyptian guy, and Joseph was very successful and was doing well. Things were looking up <laughs> until Potiphar's wife had a go at Joseph and of Joseph being morally upright, resisted the advance approach of the, the missus of, of Potiphar's uh, wife. Uh, so then she turns around and accuses him of assaulting her and so now he's thrown into jail in Egypt. And then you get to Genesis 40 and we're told that while he's in jail, Pharaoh has a butler and a baker who offends Pharaoh for some reason, which probably wouldn't be much. You know, it'd be like, you know, he came and poured the glass of wine and he only went up to the little line they put on the glass, which is like a quarter of the way up the glass. You know, you, you get... You get 
a little thrown and he probably didn't, you know, pour enough or some tiny little thing. So he, they get thrown into jail, right? And while he, they're there, it says they both had dreams and they were upset about their dreams and Joseph noticed that they were upset. So he said, tell me your dreams and I'll interpret them for you. And the butler tells his dream and Joseph, um, of course, says, oh, well, that clearly means this. You are going to be restored to your position. You're going to be let out of jail. And, and he says, oh, and when you do, please tell the Pharaoh about me because I'm here as an innocent man and I really need him to have a look at the scenario and, you know, release me from prison. The poor old baker, he hears this great interpretation that the butler gets. So he says, well, let me tell you my dream and you can interpret it for me. So he tells him his dream and Joseph says, you really want to know what the dream means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay. He says, okay, well, here's the interpretation. In three days' time, Pharaoh's going to, um, uh, well, he's going to elevate you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I settled down. I haven't finished. He's going to lift you up and impale you on a pole, kill you. Uh, and, and actually it goes on because birds are going to come and peck at your flesh. Okay, I've heard enough. Um, so that's a bummer. And, uh, and it happens just as he says. The baker is killed and the butler is restored to his position. But he forgets to tell Pharaoh. <sighs> so two more years go by and finally Pharaoh gets dreams that no one can interpret. Ah. Oh, and then the butler goes, I actually, if he's still alive, I knew a guy. Uh, and the, the way prisons are, he's, he's probably dead. But look, you could go and look for him because he's got this spiritual gift that his God's given him and he can interpret dreams. So they go and find Joseph and there he is. And he's released from prison, interprets the Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh's so impressed. He says, all right, great. You are basically in charge. He becomes prime minister of the land. And uh, he saves Egypt from famine because of the wisdom that he's given to figure out what the dream meant. That there's going to be a famine. So we need to save all the grain and all that. And he gets reconnected with his family and he forgives his brothers and they live happily ever after. But notice Along the way, there are many points in Joseph's life and story that he could easily have got caught up with bitterness, with resentment, with self-pity, with just sitting down and he's suffering and not moving forward through it all. He could, so, because, you know, when he heard the baker and the butler's dreams and they go, oh, let's tell us about dreams. He could easily have said, dreams? Dreams, I'll tell you about dreams. Don't talk to me about dreams. I had a dream. Look where it got me. You know, that, that would be the natural kind of instinct, wouldn't it? Just thinking of himself. But what did he do? He put his personal situation to one side, noticed that they were upset about their dreams, stepped in to help them with his gift and serving God and other people with his gift. Man, there's such a lesson there, isn't there? You know, so regardless of what you're going through, what attack you face, what persecutions you have, the lesson is keep serving God. Keep using your gift. Keep living your life, yeah? Keep on keeping on. Don't just get, you know, belted down and stay down. That's exactly what the devil wants, you know? And, and the, the more you go down, the easier it is for him to knock you down. Some people get knocked down with a feather, there's you know, in this culture we have today, people aren't being taught to be robust and strong. People are 
told that you know, you're a victim, any problems in your life, it's not your fault, it's got to be someone else to blame. Just look hard enough, you'll find someone, something, you know, and, and so then it doesn't take much <sighs> stuff to hit you in life to go, ah, you know, and people get flattened by it. And, and, uh, and yet Joseph, he's living with a clean spirit and a heart after God who's keeping him with an outlook to help other people. And that's what we need to do, yeah? To trust God, to direct our steps all through the pain, the problems, the persecution, and then have this bigger, better perspective on the current problems that you face. Because, you know, the end of the story, when Joseph finally meets his brothers after all these years, again, very tempted for revenge. Step in, John Wick. <laughs> Here we go, boys. Because they don't recognise him. You know, you read the story. He's all dressed up in, you know, Egyptian pharaoh prime minister looking garb. And, and, and he plays this long game with them and he's probably enjoying it a little bit. But eventually, you know, he, he doesn't kill them and, and torture them emotionally. Okay, a little bit of emotional torture. But, but, he, but he, then he reveals them and he says that classic thing, what you meant for evil, God has turned for good. That's having perspective on problems, isn't it? To trust God and to say, God, I, all things work together for good. I don't know how, but I trust that they will because you've promised in your word and I want to be able to say like Joseph, I want to look back and say, whatever the devil meant for evil, whatever that person might have ever, God, you will turn it for good. And God did because as I said, his wisdom that God had put in his heart and the position that Pharaoh put him in meant that, all those people in that nation was, was saved from a terrible famine. So, but it was, it was 13 years, they calculate, between, you know, the suffering and, and uh, the serving and the forgiving before he got to that position. His preparation for his elevation, you know, included unjust punishment, persecution from the brothers, from the slave traders, from Potiphar, from fellow prisoners. But, but it was how he handled the persecution that led to his success, led to his blessing. So again, bitterness is very tempting when we're unjustly attacked, but it's just unfulfilled revenge. It's, it's just going to, you know, wind you up on the inside. And Joseph wo wisely chose not to let that Bitterness rage inside him. And when he had the chance to take revenge, he didn't take it. He was able to move forward with God's hand, trusting God on the whole situation. And look at um, one last uh, verse. Uh, this is Psalm 105, and it gives us a perspective on Joseph's suffering and persecution. Psalm 105 verse 16 says... He called, that's God, for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. He sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters. They placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfil his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Then Israel arrived in Egypt. Jacob lived as a foreigner in the land of Ham because 
Joseph, you know, invited his whole family down to save them as well. And the Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they too, until they became too mighty for their enemies. So from Joseph and what he did, they ended up with his whole nation of Israel that years later Moses led out, you know, into the desert on the way to the promised land. What an amazing blessing for so many people, all stemming from someone who managed pain, who managed the pain of persecution that came his way, who drew closer to God and on God's strength to help him endure the injustice, the imprisonment, the whole deal. And who let God's grace settle on his heart so he could forgive people who tried to harm him and in doing so brought all that blessing. And, uh, you know, that psalm written obviously years later at the, at the time. It sounds so good. What a great story. Of course, it didn't feel like a great story. But what do they say? Without, any, without a test, there's no testimony. And, and, and Joseph, what a great journey and story, yeah? So in our own way, we pave the way for blessing for ourselves and for others when we forgive, when we're unjustly attacked because of our faith. And when we walk through that with grace and rather than getting even, we just get close to God and, and we trust in him to deliver us and strengthen us. And so you never know what's on the other side of your obedience to God in a tough situation. You never know who's on the other side waiting to be blessed and people who would not have been blessed otherwise if people like you and me don't handle it, walk with grace and bring God's love and forgiveness into a situation and an ability to cope with persecution and problems. Because you know, really, like Joseph, God gives us dreams and we've got to be able to keep dreaming and not let the pain and the pressures and the problems of life crush that dream in your life, yeah? Because the place of pain is not your final destination. It's just part of the journey. We've got to be able to keep walking and not getting stuck in that one place. You'll get past it. You'll carry on. As I have, Ruth touched on this last week. I don't want to go into all the gory details, but, you know, I've, I've forgiven you, Bethany. Joking. I'm just looking for someone to complain. Um, no, no, I, I, you know, we've had uh, Ruth touched last week when she was talking about her life and journey in God of some challenging times and some attacks that we've faced over the years. Anyone serious enough, you know, about following Jesus, especially in a leadership position, is going to cop that. Um, but we've stood our ground. We've kept serving God. You know, we've lived through some pain. We're still smiling, still serving, still standing. Uh, and so uh, that is, you know, part of life. But let us therefore be people of grace and forgiveness. Amen. Let's be people of strength and perseverance and people of faith in God through all the challenges, through whatever comes. Amen. Praise him. Come on, we're going to pray. And then at the end of the service, we'll close. We'll sing a song. Uh, and then if you want prayer when others are going to get kids and coffee and stuff, I'm going to stay here and I'm happy to pray, especially if something you've heard today huh, has touched your heart in a way that, you know, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you feel the need to forgive someone and it's been hard. Maybe you have forgiven them and it's come back on you. That can happen. And uh, you don't want to live with that that pain and that resentment or whatever it may be, then I'd love to pray for you. Especially if you want to commit your life into the hands of God. Give your life to Jesus. That's what we 
Wow, that's what we are called to do. And Father, we, um, we thank You. We thank You for the challenges You give us uh, because with the right approach, we can grow through them. And more than anything, we, we can grow closer to You. I pray that we would carry that approach, that attitude and learn from Scripture, from what we've read, what is so clear that, wow, we can be actually glad when problems and pain come, even persecution, because it drives us closer to You. Help us, Lord God, to share love, grace, forgiveness into this world. I pray the Holy Ghost, You settle in our hearts and grow love in our hearts to be able to do that. Touch every life here today. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.